This is Basketball U. On Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Welcome to the Basketball U Podcast. I'm Tyler Rocky. We're with you two times a week talking all things college hoops on the ESPN Chicago app or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, download, subscribe, and tell your college basketball-loving friends as well. We're going to talk with Jim Root today from the three-man weave. He covers all things college basketball. Also has the gambling insights as well. You can find his work, Field of 68, and his best bets with Kai and Maddie. All things college basketball betting. Great stuff there. But it was the Big Ten ACC Challenge this week. It was so much fun to watch. The final iteration we're going to get of the Big Ten ACC Challenge. And Jim, kind enough to join us here on Basketball You, Jim, thanks so much for taking some time with us today. Yeah, appreciate you having me. I'm glad you made the right choice among the three-man weave. You picked the the best of the bunch. Uh, I would like to believe that at least. I'm going to keep telling myself that. I'm excited to be here. Well, Kai and Maddie both said no, so I had to go to, to number three, unfortunately. No, I'm kidding. Oh, you were that the, makes me feel way you were worse. The first pick. Oh. You were the first pick. Don't worry, Jim. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> there we go. Um, good, so good. we just wrapped up the final Big Ten ACC Challenge. I, I mean, you you see ESPN getting their hands involved here. They want the ACC-SEC Challenge. This is the, the first big move of the, the new uh, Bob Iger era, isn't it, Jim? Um, but... Let's get into just first of all, overall feelings of this thing ending. Are you going to miss this challenge or are you more so looking forward to what the ACC SEC challenge could bring? I'm I'm going to miss it. I'm as I get older and grumpier, I don't like change and I've been so indoctrinated into this ACC Big Ten challenge. It's kind of like a very rhythmic thing. You get out of feast week, but you don't lose all the good games because you get ACC Big Ten right after that. And you get some pretty good rivalry games usually with it. I, the UNC Indiana last night, I think it's only like the 17th game they've played all time, but it's awesome to see those matchups and having this shift to uh, the the SEC being involved. It'll still give quality basketball, but they, there's just something like losing the old Big East was a heartbreaker. Now yeah. losing ACC Big Ten, it's gonna it's gonna crush me a little bit, but. I'm sure in two years I won't even remember. That's how right. it works. <laughs> exactly. Um, so let's get into the Indiana-UNC matchup here. Um, so UNC enters the season as the preseason number one. They're the fourth team ever to enter as the preseason number one and lose three games in a row. Now, you can look at the schedule here. It wasn't the easiest stretch, but when you're the preseason number one, you're expected to at least win one of these three games. But what, what do you see as the, the biggest fall for UNC right now after they lose 77-65 to 65 last night? to Indiana there's a there's a lot of different things I think if you're looking just at the team just watching not even taking away numbers they look like there's way less ball movement they don't look as intense defensively as they were down the stretch when they made their big run last year and then you can kind of pull some numbers and and fully back that up like their assist rate is way down they're 331st in the country in assist rate they don't share the ball there's a lot of my turn your turn they don't have Brady Manick who is kind of the perfect complimentary guy uh, Pete Nance is great filling that role, but it, it's just not the same rhythm, and they're still kind of figuring that out. And then defensive rebounding, they're they're poor compared to last year. They were one of the best 10 teams in the country last year at keeping opponents off the glass. Now they're barely inside the top 200 in defensive rebound rate. I, I think those two things are emblematic of their issues, which it, to me feel a little like 
we read the press clippings. We just kind of need to show up and we're number one. Like yeah. the shots are going to fall the same way they did all March last year. We just got to throw them up there and, and they'll go in and teams will be afraid of us because we're number one. And it's quite the opposite. I think they've got the target on their back and maybe we're never quite as good as being number one. And so when you are targeted and you're not as good as you're, you know, people seem to think you are, or they maybe think they are. Uh, this is this is what happens. You take a couple losses and get humbled on the way, and we'll see if they can write the shit before ACC play. It's funny, too, because you bring up how you, you kind of puff your chest out a little bit. You're preseason number one. You do the, the Sports Illustrated cover and all that stuff. And, like, you look at the last three coaches they played, Mike Woodson, Nate Oates, and TJ Otzelberger. Those are three guys that don't care what the number is next to your name right there. Those are three, like, ferocious guys that just want to beat you by any means necessary. And that, I think, is a problem for this UNC team now because they're not UNC. Like, you brought up the rebounding numbers there. When you think of UNC, you think of a team that dominates the glass, usually with a couple of really strong interior bigs. And even though, for the most part, the, the roster is the same year to year, it just doesn't feel like that that dominant interior UNC team that they they're used to having. Yeah, I'll give I'll give Baycott a slight let off here because I know he's banged up and he went into the locker room or, or back towards the locker room last night. He's dealing with the ankle thing, but even before that, they, they were nowhere near as dominant on the glass. And perhaps it's not all on him. I don't want to put it all on him. He seems to play hard, but he's not rebounding at the same rate. He's not getting help from the guards at the same rate. Nance is not contributing on the glass even the way Manic did last year that there's some element of an edge or a chip on their shoulder that seems to have been lost over the offseason I, I, I hate to truly call out Caleb Love but there are certain players we've found when we write our previews and, and do our stuff that search their own names and those are the guys that I think read the press clippings and maybe get a little bigger ego. And I feel like Caleb Love is one of those guys. And now he's just launching shots indiscriminately and not making most of them and not contributing as much defensively as well. So I, they, they've got a lot of things to work out both ends of the floor and seems like a, a players only meeting type of team. Maybe they need to call one of those and, and start to figure out the intensity on the floor. Yeah, you bring up Caleb Love there, and it's like he's one of those guys, and I've said it before, like he's going to win you a couple games. He's also going to lose you a couple games over the course of, of the season. And um, th that's one of those things like, I mean, and you've heard um, Hubert Davis call the team out. Like he's spoken with RJ and Caleb about, all right, we got to we gotta facilitate. We got to move the ball a little bit more. On the other side, though, for Indiana now, 7-0 and here in the early going. You're the preseason Big Ten favorites um, by many media outlets there. and it just kind of feels different. I think with Indiana, like it's back to the way Indiana basketball used to be. I mean, I feel like two, three years ago, even if they were the higher ranked team and they had taken down a UNC team, they would have stormed the court. No court stormings last night at assembly hall. It feels a little bit different down in Bloomington. Yeah. The expectations have been raised and they're like, yeah, we're supposed to win this game. We're five, six point favorite against UNC. We should win this game. We don't need to storm the court. And man, they've been really, really solid so far this year. I, the early schedule wasn't very stiff, but then you throw in an at Xavier win versus North Carolina, they controlled that game. And they were up like 10 plus basically the entire second half, never really got below eight. Super impressed by them. Jalen Hood, Shafino's hitting shots. Xavier Johnson is playing far more under control. It seems like it helps him that he's got Hood Shafino alongside somebody else that can make plays and lead the offense at times, take some burden off of him. And man, TJD is as good as it yeah. gets. Mm -hmm. Just unbelievable. The fact that he's near 150 O rating this many games into the season with a couple of really tough tilts under his belt, 
he's he's remarkable and you know i think i and and others fell in love with zach Eady's national player of the year case after that run in pk85 but TJD is going to be right there given how he's playing so far. It wouldn't shock me if we have one of those odd situations where one guy wins Big Ten Player of the Year and the other guy wins National Player of the Year. I, I love that. Give me I, that. I, I'm all for it. <laughs> um, let's move on to the next game here. Duke took down Ohio State, 81-72 the final here. Uh, Kyle Filipowski has one of, been one of the most impressive freshmen to me. I know he may not have been the guy that grabbed all the headlines in terms of the top freshmen, but he was a guy who shot up recruiting boards from his junior season to his senior season. I don't think some people thought he'd get as high as into the top 10, but surely he did. I think he was as high as like number three in some places too, but he looks like a complete player on the offensive side. He can stretch you out. He can work inside. He does a good job on the offensive glass too. But what do you see from him in terms of, in terms of the most impressive freshman across the nation right now? He's, he's right up there. And I, I kind of worry like where would Duke be without him? And I, yeah. I know Entering the year, uh, I was pretty high on him just because of the, the limited amount of tape I got to watch for preseason preview stuff. But then all the word out of practice was, oh, he's kind of lagging behind. Their best freshman is definitely Tyrese Proctor. And Mark Mitchell is really impressive. But like Filipowski has been the guy. It has been Flip and whoever else can help him out. Roach has been a pretty steadying influence in the backcourt. But Proctor has been erratic. Mitchell's not as much of an offensive threat, sometimes has to play a little out of position. And then Lively and Whitehead are clearly still getting back from their injuries that they suffered in the preseason. So Flip has been like the mainstay for them. And, and the fact that he's so skilled, like he can attack off the bounce from the perimeter as a 6'11", 230-pound guy. So few teams in college basketball have any defender that has a hope of stopping that. Either they're not strong enough or they're not quick enough, they're not big enough. He is a matchup nightmare. And as the other pieces fall into place for Duke, especially those other freshmen, that's when hopefully they start to get to their ceiling. But it does feel a little like last year's Carolina where the, the new coach takes over the big seat and it's going to take some time for them to really maximize their potential. What do you think of John Shire so far? Because I don't think any any coach has entered a, a season in any sport having this many profiles written about them, having this much media coverage, this much sort of angst maybe from the fan base of what it's going to look like. Uh, but what have you thought of John Shire here through almost 10 games? Hard to figure. Um, I, I know some Duke fans, I think, are pretty confused by his rotations and you know how much or how little he plays Ryan Young and Jacob Grandison from game to game as he tries to figure out the balance between the veterans and the young guys, I think last night that stabilized more. We saw a little more of those uh, Grandison Young, the two Big Ten veterans. I think that helps, especially consider the freshmen are still getting their feet under them. But the offensive plan hasn't been overly strong to me. Uh, the Oregon State game, they, they saw his own and just kind of melted into a puddle. And that's not a great sign for a first-year coach. He is still getting things figured out. But you kind of go back to the Coach K coaching tree and it's like, Johnny Dawkins, Steve Wojciechowski, Tommy Amaker, like a lot of these guys have flamed out at big schools and Shire had kind of the shiny new toy. We don't know if he's bad yet, but there are very few Duke guys that have gone on and wowed at their next stop. And so I think the the critical eye is going to remain on him until he proves it and maybe has some sort of wild postseason run like Hubert Davis did last year. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe in it long term right now. But there's, like you said, there, there have been some schematic things that give you a little bit of pause along the way, too. Um, 
let's look at the the Virginia Cavaliers. They take care of business against Michigan. Probably the best game of the of the challenge that we saw of uh, from over the week. But seventy to sixty eight. This is not a three point shooting Virginia team by any stretch of the imagination. But they it's so far this year they've hit their opportunities. They go four for eight in this game. I don't know any basketball team that shoots eight three pointers in a game these days. I don't even <laughs> think you see that at, at like the junior high level at this point. But Virginia's to me been the most impressive team in terms of overachieving this year but for you who has it who has it overachieved more so far in the early going is it virginia or is it purdue um I, they're both right there i mean like i think i had them both around 23 to 25 ish 25 to 30 ish preseason and now they're both top 10 so I, I think the overachievement level has been about the same uh which is both impressive really really impressive and virginia we kind of talked about Shire schematic stuff. Like Tony Bennett is just brilliant. He comes into the year with the same offense, same guys, but he adds a couple extra shooting pieces with McNeely and Bennett Vanderplas from the portal. And they, they're doing a lot of the same mover blocker offensive uh, attack. But against Michigan, the way to to go against the Wolverines is you, you move Hunter Dickinson around and you kind of have to go ball screen with that. And they did. They like to Virginia's credit to Tony Bennett's credit. They kind of altered their approach, especially in the second half, forced them to to guard in the ball screen and, and got a lot better ball movement. And even the game winning bucket was Jaden Gardner, a little pick and pop because Dickinson was sinking so far down and drop coverage, knocked down a, a mid range jumper. And that was the kind of thing that like, oh, if they're only running mover blocker, that shot never presents itself. Uh, I don't know that they're going to continue to shoot 46% from three, but if it's not high volume, regression isn't going to kill them. If they're getting good interior looks the way they did against Michigan, it doesn't really matter if they have a game where they go two for eight instead of four for eight. Uh, I've, I've been super impressed by both Virginia and Purdue, but maybe I was a little more skeptical of the ceiling on Virginia, given how many guys they brought back. And they've shown that they have uh, a top five ceiling for sure. Right. I mean, this is a team that really did not live up to the Virginia standard from a season ago. But now you look at a team that where they are right now, top five in the country. And like, what is that new ceiling that you're putting for for a Virginia team? Like, is this a team that you could see down in Houston? Yeah, probably. I, uh, why why doubt them at this point? What they did in in Las Vegas and and what they were able to do on the road at Michigan, a team that was pretty desperate and had them down double digits at halftime, and they're just a metronome, man. They like they don't get down, they don't worry about a little bit of a deficit. We saw the lightning type run they can go on against Baylor when they hit like six threes in six minutes. That's not something that I usually think of with Virginia. It's more uh, meticulous trying to produce baskets. So I yeah I bet them to get into uh, or to win the ACC because I I thought Virginia might be or uh, UNC might be a little mispriced and I continue to be mystified by how much higher the ceiling looks for a team that is so similar to last year's roster. It's a credit to Bennett and how much that system familiarity uh, helps for those guys. Now when you look at Purdue and and they take care of business against uh, Florida State seventy nine sixty nine in that game, but um. I didn't expect them to be able to replenish the way that they did. Like it's kind of different than what Virginia is doing. Virginia brings back a lot of pieces from the season, a season ago, a lot of uh, really important pieces to what they wanted to do this year. Meanwhile, Purdue, you lose a top five guy in Jaden Ivy, and then you lose Travion Williams, who was the heartbeat leader of that team, a point center essentially out there. 
I didn't think they'd be able to to replenish the way that they have, but you see that they've taken care of the basketball pretty well. And then Zach Eady looks like a, a player of the year candidate too. I didn't see that coming from Purdue, but I mean, how much credit does Matt Painter deserve for what he's done to get this team to where it is right now? A, a ton, like a, a huge amount of credit. And then, you know, last year was probably tempting to play Eady more than 20 minutes at times, but Williams it was so good. You kind of had to rotate those guys. And this year, the permanent production has stayed super high for Edie. And to his credit, seven foot four guy that can make free throws. That's not fair. That, that shouldn't be allowed. Um, seven but then, touch. You don't find that. It's it's ridiculous. I don't know how you guard him. But then the freshman guards and, and David Jenkins coming in, I think that was the question mark. It's like, all right, how do they get Edie touches? Is the offense going to be as potent without someone like Stefanovic running around and shooting 40% off motion from uh, from three-point land? But Fletcher Lawyer, Braden Smith, those guys are immediately ready. And while a lot of credit certainly goes to them for the work I'm sure they put in at practice, like Painter clearly is putting them in positions to succeed, uh, setting up the the offense. It's not as reliant on a guard to create. The, the offense does create a lot of shots for them, but they are fitting in seamlessly to an attack that kind of like Virginia is, I would usually think takes time to master and, and figure out. And those guys fit in right away. And, and yeah, Purdue... Even in like a, a quote letdown spot after the PK eighty five title last uh, last week, they were able to go on a, on the road and, and beat Florida State, who admittedly is down, but like it was a weird schedule spot for Purdue. I think they were home for thirty six hours before they had to fly down to Tallahassee. So yeah, really impressed by Painter and, and the Boilers in general. So on the other side of this game, Florida State, it feels like they're getting a pass this year because of what's happening with Louisville, and we'll get into yes. Louisville in a second, but. This is not a Leonard Hamilton team that I recognize by any stretch of the imagination. Sure, they may have some of the size pieces and all that stuff, but I mean, one in eight, what, what's happening with Florida State right now? Because they still bring back a, a a decent amount of pieces from the season before, and I get it wasn't the, the Florida State teams we're used to, but this is a Florida State program that's been one of the best in the ACC over the last, what, five, seven years? Yeah, it, it, we thought they would bounce back and quickly realized that that would not be the case. Um, Jalen Ganey, the transfer from Brown, I think was supposed to be a pretty huge defensive piece, and he's out for the year with a knee injury. Baba Miller's the best freshman on the on the roster, but he's not eligible for the first 16 games because kind of a, a tough, I'll say tough as a gentle word, tough NCAA ruling that he's dealing with. Uh, and and the, the roster doesn't have the like lottery talent really kind of coming through the pipeline like it has in the past. There's no Devin Vassell that the Spurs are going to pick off in the lottery at this point. Uh, we thought maybe Cleveland could get there, Matthew Cleveland or, or Jalen Worley, but these guys aren't quite there. And then Caleb Mills, he's a solid player, but he lives in the mid-range and has some inefficiencies to his game where if he's your primary offensive creator, you're in trouble. So this team kind of lacks a point guard. They lack depth. They don't have much experience. There's a lot of youth. Their entire bench is, is freshman inexperienced guys. It, it has all kind of snowballed for Leonard Hamilton. And he's also lost a bunch of uh, assistance off his staff recently. People have kind of been cherry picking that. So maybe the, uh, the coaching isn't quite as strong as it's been in the past around him. So I mentioned they're getting a pass now, it feels like, because of what's happening with Louisville. Listen, I, I said you should have left Kenny Payne on the island. All right. Um, after the disaster that was the Maui Invitational, but they lose by 25 to Maryland. Listen, it, it's one thing to lose, but it's one thing to lose the way that they have. First, you start the season with three straight one-point losses. Now you've just gotten your doors blown off four straight games. Like, listen, 
everyone's got a price, right? Like at a certain point, this is no longer acceptable for Kenny Payne and we could see him be one and done. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think he'll get like fired mid season or anything, but the, he's got to figure out the effort for his team. Like the effort's just gone. The, the effort against Maryland was so poor. They kind of brought it for the first 30 minutes against Arkansas and hung around or down like five or six in that game and then just ran out of depth and the pressure of Arkansas, I think, totally wore them down. And then I think, you know, the 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 loss against Texas Tech where they had 13 points in the first 25 minutes of that game, it's got to wear on these guys mentally where they're like, man, every time we take the floor, we're a laughing stock, we get blown out. At some point, he's got to be able to to kind of circle the wagons around the locker room, Kenny Payne does, and be like, we, we got to play for each other and, and some pride here. And maybe it starts on Sunday as ACC play starts. We've seen this with some teams in the past where the, the non-conference, is it goes so poorly that you just kind of write it off. But then this is like a, a, a new start, like our yeah. ACC play, we're 0-0. Let, let's, let's start 1-0. We don't have to be uh, the embarrassment we've been so far. But I, I don't know. When you only have one competent guard on the roster, there's only so much you can do. And I, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better for Louisville. Right. Well, they do play Florida State on uh, December 10th. So maybe <laughs> someone's got to win, right? That's the old saying. Someone's got to win. Yeah. yeah um, <laughs> that's if it ends in a tie, I won't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> They'll just cancel the game. Exit. Um, all right. Uh, I need you to talk me off the ledge here, Jim, because as a Syracuse alum, it did not end well for me the other night. Uh, I was down in at Urbana-Champaign. I was at the State Farm Center and it looked fun for a little bit. But the, that fun ended around the what the ten minute mark of the the first half, and Syracuse lost to to Illinois seventy three to forty four. Really sloppy game for Illinois offensively, and they still put up seventy three points. But let's start with with Syracuse. I, I think a lot of Orange fans are done with the Jim Beheim experience. And listen, they credit him for everything. Like the reason that university is relevant is because of Jim Beheim. But it also feels like one of those situations, too, where, oh, you die the hero or you live long enough to become the villain. And boy, is he come, becoming the villain pretty quickly. Yeah, it, it felt like such a natural breaking point this offseason where his his sons left the program. Last year was one of the worst years in his entire tenure. It just kind of like, all right, sail off into the sunset. No hard feelings for that last year. Let's let's kind of start anew. And this this year looks bad. And and. It feels like I don't want to say the game's passing him by, but it's changing and he's not really leaning into it. Like he's not using the transfer portal the way a lot of ACC schools are. And you can point at Louisville for having the same issue. Uh, Syracuse just they've been trying to do the internal development thing, but they only play five or six guys every year. It feels like so when you lose three or four of those guys, you're going to have some hiccups going into the next season. I don't know. I, I like Judah Mintz a lot. I, I think yeah. he's got really high ceiling, but you need a little more help around him. And there's been a lot of, you know, last five or so years, we, we've made jokes about Syracuse where the offense just feels like it's somebody's turn to, to chuck a shot. There's my yeah. turn, your turn elements mm -hmm. to it. And you need high level talent for that. And I'm not sure they fully have it no. this year. So it, it does feel like both sides should be ready for Jim Beheim should go play golf or whatever he likes to do. And Syracuse should be ready for their fresh start, whoever it may be. That's the problem though. It's like you can't <laughs> golf in Syracuse. You get like two yeah. months a year to golf in Syracuse. So you, you can't just send them off to, to, to Drumlin's country club. It, you you got to find something else. Um, and, and all he knows is basketball, but uh, yeah. I, I, 
I don't know. Like it, it's been a, a tough watch the last couple of years. Certainly hasn't been the Syracuse standard that fans are used to. And people are certainly getting fed up there. Um, on the other side, though, for, for Illinois, I mean, I don't think I've seen a team or a, a game have as many missed free throws as this one, but they still find a way. Coleman Hawkins with the triple double in this game. And this Illinois team just keeps stacking together some impressive outings. And I think it's going to be a fun little race atop the Big Ten when you look at Indiana, Illinois, Purdue emerging as well. Like, where do you see Illinois fitting into this thing at the end of the year for the, for the Big Ten? They're right there. I think, like you said, those those three, and then I would put Iowa in that conversation right now. I've been mega impressed by them so far. And I've been saying since the preseason, I think this Illinois team, maybe they've uh, fans have been frustrated with their lack of postseason success in the last couple of years. They've gone out early as as a pretty high seed. I think this team is built for postseason success because they're more versatile. They've got a little more length and, and dynamism on the wings. They can do different, uh, have different lineups. Dane Danger gives them that almost Kofi-esque presence yeah. in the middle, but they don't need him. He played nine minutes against Syracuse. Like right. They've got so, so much more playmaking and shooting. I've been really impressed by them. I thought Underwood would figure it out, but I didn't think he would figure it out this quickly. Like I, I thought they would be really good come Big Ten play, but they're awesome already. And I think the Illini have every shot to to win the league along with, like you said, Purdue, Indiana, Iowa. It's it's an awesome – Maryland. Heck, you could throw Maryland yeah. in there. They've mm-hmm. been great, they look too. Good. So the Big Ten has just been a force exceeding all expectations so far. And and Jim Beheim says they suck. But that's a that's a story for another <laughs> day. Um, one, one thing with Dane Danger, here's what I kind of see with him is he kind of blends the – obviously the size of a guy like Kofi, but then the lovability of what Georgie brought to the table for Illini fans for so many years. Like, he is the best of both worlds. Now, he's not nearly as talented as Kofi, but – um, it's like that that blending of personality and, and size out there on the floor. I, I, I love watching it. I love the way that Illini fans have embraced him, too. It's fun to watch him, too. He's huge, and he's got a great name. Like, there's yep. so many things Danger to, to zone. come together. And like, he, yeah, the, he plays with an energy. I, there was one, I think it was out in Vegas, where he faked a dribble handoff and just had an uncontested dunk at the basket. And, like, the way he turned to the crowd and, like, kind of pointed <laughs> himself and beat his chest. It's like, yeah, this guy gets it. He's got the emotion. He like, he knows how to appeal to the fans. He's a blast. I, I Baylor could use him right now. They need some interior defense. But Danger's there helping, uh, helping Underwood instead. Well, that's the perfect segue there because I was going to say his former team wasn't so pretty the other night. Um, 96-70 Marquette easily handles Baylor. I mean, you don't see a team like Baylor turn the ball over 20 times. I think it's this is probably more of a uh, a blip on the radar, not something that I'm I'm really super worried about with Baylor. But what did you see from from the Bears in this one? And are you concerned about Baylor? I'm a little concerned. Yeah, because I I had a preseason number two and I'm uh, clearly walking that back like that's not correct. I lost to Virginia, got blown out at Marquette. Um, I thought thought their backcourt would just be like a killer, just Im- impossible to defend because they've got multiple playmakers coming at you from different angles, all kinds of shooting on the floor. And I thought Thamba was the the great compliment defensive centerpiece and Jalen Bridges, perfect guy coming over from West Virginia. I, I love the way it all fit together, but man, it has been uh, bumpy. They- they've almost rejected the, the operation here, unfortunately, and the, the turnovers Man, I, I didn't expect to see that even against Marquette's pressure. I know they don't have technically a true point guard, but 
there's enough guys that know how to handle the ball and, and can be competent with it that they shouldn't be coughing it up and giving so many transition points up to the opponent. They've they've got work to do, especially defensively too. Like they, they can shoot, yeah, we know that, but um, defensively they've been getting crushed. And as they go into the Big Twelve, that looks really really good. Once again, I think every team is in Ken Palm's top sixty right now. Baylor's going to have to figure it out because they can't cough the ball like they did on the road at Marquette. Yeah. Um, on the other side here, if we're if we're saying the the quiet part out loud here, Shaka Smart has not won a tournament game since 2013. Um, you look at his track record in the tournament, but the regular season is kind of it feels like why he can bounce from job to job to job and still remain relevant in college basketball spheres. But what's it going to take for him to get this Marquette team to get? a a postseason victory yeah i he kind of ran into a buzzsaw last year with unc Uh, Mm -hmm. unfortunately (laughs) that was a team that just totally hit its stride but i think this team can win a a postseason game if they get there they've they've pretty much vaulted themselves up into maybe the second tier of the big east just behind the the yukon and creighton top tier Uh, those those two have looked fantastic Uh, but they've got you know, they've got playmaking on the perimeter with Kolek and Oso is kind of given the, the point center look. I think he might lead the country and assist rate for guys his size or something like he's been fantastic. And if those young freshman, sophomore guards come along, the, the Cam Jones, the Sean Jones, uh, David Joplin is like the six man scorer. They can get there. Um, Shaq has always been better as an underdog. You look at some of his historical results and I think that plays up for him. So maybe if they get into the tournament as like an 11 seed, like they can get that underdog hype against a six seed. And that's when they pull off their upset and get Shaka his win. Cause I don't want to overreact to not having a win in, in the NCAA tournament, but at some point you want to get one, yeah. that, just get the monkey off your back. At a certain point, losing to Stephen F. Austin gets old. I think he's lost to them like two or three times in the NCAA tournament, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is, is crazy to think. But um, real quick, before I let you go, I, I think it's you and Rob Douster. You two are jockeying for the biggest soccer college basketball crossover fans right now on my Twitter timeline. So just real quick, your thoughts, USA, Netherlands this weekend. I'm cautiously optimistic. Netherlands is solid, but they are not this home run hitting juggernaut that we should be in cowering fear of. And the U.S. hasn't given up a goal and run a play. That's that's really impressive. They had the one kind of mistake penalty that is definitely on us. But England, Wales, Iran are all top 20 teams in the entire country. England is a top five team. And the defense was rock solid the whole time. Tyler Adams wrecks everything in the center of the pitch. And Tim Ream has been the old steady guy in the back that has pretty much made no mistakes. So I, I think if the the defense remains solid, you just got to find a way to get something going ahead, going forward. And I don't know what they'll do at, at, at up top, if Josh Sargent's going to be healthy or not. Pulisic sounds like he thinks he'll be healthy. Who knows? But we are pretty deep on the wings, and it seems like the belief is really coming along with this team. So I, I'm optimistic going into that Saturday morning clash and uh, whatever happens, I'm proud of the boys for for getting out of the group at least. You know, the Netherlands were always like my go to FIFA team because they were like a four and a half, five star team. But you weren't an ass who was being like Brazil or Spain <laughs> yeah. or France or something like that. But they were like that under the radar team that you could always be and not get yelled at by whoever you were playing. 
Yeah, and I'm sure you just you know had had the Aryan Robin cut inside on the left foot, and he could put it anywhere he wanted on that game. So yeah, it made sense. But hopefully the U.S. is going to become that four and a half star uh, out of five yeah. star team that everybody wants to play with. We're we're getting there. Yeah, Jim, appreciate you hopping on. You can check his workout with Three Man Weave on his podcast. Also a ton of written work as well, and then you can find him on the Field of Sixty Eight every single day with his best bets on Twitter at Field of Sixty Eight. Jim, appreciate you hopping on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tyler. All right, we will be back next week recapping another great week of college hoops. We've got some excellent games. We've got the rest of the Big 12 Big East battle, including Creighton and Texas, so we will dive into that matchup. Also, we've got ACC and Big Ten play starting this weekend. We've got a fantastic matchup between Illinois and Maryland on Friday. Baylor-Gonzaga play as well. We'll have the full recap for you on Monday as well as any other musings from around the college basketball world. This has been the Basketball You Podcast. We'll talk to you next week. 